Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, third through fifth graders, you guys are dismissed to your class. Um, uh, excited to be here with you as we uh, uh, continue this sermon series, Impact the Church on the Move. And one of the, one of the big statements we made this past week is just a, a reminder for, for you and for me is how uh, we make up the church. If you were not here, if I was not here, there would be nothing but a building. There would be nothing but a shell of a place and about how God is wanting to use you. He's wanting to use me to be a part of building His kingdom. And this past week, we started this sermon series asking uh, some pretty tough questions. One of the things that God has just been challenging me about uh, these last few weeks as I've been diving into the book of Acts and hopefully... Uh, You also have had a chance to start reading through the book of Acts. Uh, But one of the things that we asked this past week was, is do we really believe what we're studying? I mean, do we believe the Word of God? Do we we believe what it says? And, And not only believe, but are we willing to fashion our lives around the Word of God? And what does that look like for me and for you? Well, for for many of us, that means uh, maybe changing some things in our lives, maybe reprioritizing some things in our lives so that God is the one thing that our lives revolve around. Because i got to be honest, just like your life and my life, there's a lot of things that I could revolve uh, my life around. There's a lot of things, honestly, that my life does revolve around many times. So for you and for me, I hope this has been a point of of conviction in our lives. And maybe this past week you weren't here. I uh, just want to let you know that we are now, all right, uh, OneChurchElkCity.com. We now have our sermon podcast online. Many people have been asking about that for a really long time. And finally we have uh, put that on there and we will keep up with that. So maybe you miss a week or two. Hopefully not. But if you do, uh, if you go to our website, that's OneChurchElkCity.com. You can listen to previous uh, messages uh, and we will have that available for, uh, for years to come. Uh, so we're just excited about that, kind of get that going there. But uh, one of the things we said last week was, is, well, as we encouraged each other, while we, as we challenged each other, and as we said, why should we give God a, a blank check in our lives and as churches? Uh, why should we do those things? And some of the statements that we made is, is, why should we offer our lives before God? Because that's some of the questions that we have, that's some of the questions that, that people have in, uh, in life. And the first thing we said this past week was, is Jesus is worthy of our absolute surrender. We said that because Jesus is working to advance His kingdom, Jesus has clothed every single one of us, those who have uh, surrendered your lives before God with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we said that the world is, is God's goal. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says God kind of gives His stomping orders to those uh, disciples, the same stomping orders and direction that he's, he's given us even this morning, that we will be witnesses We will be witnesses to those around us, and it literally says in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth, literally like right here in Elk City, that you and I, every single day of our lives, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we we come home and fellowship with our family, that you and I would be witnesses of the gospel message to those around us. And we said that the, the Word is our guarantee, and that the stakes are high, and that the coming of Christ should leave us with an eager anticipation, as Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, He says, I'm about to leave, I'm about to go to the Father, but I want to promise you in this moment that I will come back and return just as you have seen me leave. So it's that promise that Jesus, yes, Jesus Himself, will return for His 
people. I want to ask another question as we start this morning. If I was to ask you, why does the church exist? What would your answer be just right now? I don't want you to vocally say it out loud, but what would you say, what was the purpose, what is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? There was a poll done a couple of years ago that a Barna group who does a lot of church studies goes in and they went into a church of about a thousand people and they go and they, they ask this question. They say, what is the purpose of the church? And 89%, all right, so that would be, if my math is right, 890 people, am I correct? Math teachers, all right, out of 1,000, said that the church's purpose is to care for my family and my needs. That's what 89% of the people said. 11% of the people said that the purpose of the church is to win the world for Christ. Now, I'm not saying one's right, wrong, or indifferent in a sense, but my question for you is, how would you describe the purpose, the existing of the church today in 2017? There's a story uh, told by a man by the name of Charles Kahn. He, he talks about his time when he uh, spent some time in Atlanta, Georgia, an awesome city, by the way. That's where I grew up, okay? And he noticed in the yellow pages, all right, he says, in the listing of restaurants an entry for a place called the Church of God Grill, all right? The peculiar name aroused his curiosity, and he dialed the number. A man answered with a cheerful, Hello, Church of God Grill. He asked how the restaurant had been given such an unusual name. And the man at the other end said, Well, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken so much, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service. After a while, we closed down the church altogether and kept on serving the chicken dinners. We kept the name that was started in the Church of God Grill. Let me ask you something this morning. What is the purpose? That's a true story, by the way. What is the purpose of the church? What would you say is the purpose of the church in your life as it pertains to your life right now and right here. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be starting in in verse 36. We're kind of skipping a little bit of the story there. I want to catch you up to speed. Um, Jesus again gives His marching orders uh, in Acts chapter 1. And Jesus ascends, He goes in... To heaven, and, and the angel comes to the disciples and says, You know, what are you doing waiting here? Or what are you doing watching that, you know, go and do? And, and, and Jesus says that I'm going to give you these marching orders. I want you to wait right here. And he says that the, the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit uh, comes on those who have followed after Jesus, and that story is pretty interesting. I'll give you some time to, to read that maybe this afternoon. That the, the Holy Spirit comes on them like, like, like tongues of fire. It's such an awesome, awesome story. And as we talked about last week, that the disciples start speaking in all different kind of languages, and, and every one of that time, because there was people from all over the world there in Jerusalem. And, and they start saying, like, who are these people? And literally it starts saying that, you know, maybe these guys are drunk with wine because they're doing crazy things, so to speak, all right? And at 9 o'clock in the morning, Peter starts speaking, and the people say, you know what? There's no way that these people are drunk because they are very uneducated. And all of a sudden, their response is, is that these people must have been with 
Jesus. So we're going to pick this story up in verse uh, 36. Got it on the screen for you there as well. But let's read that together. And then we're going to take a few minutes just to unpack that uh, together. So here we go. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40 says, With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, I pray uh, just in this moment right now, God, that you will just capture our hearts. God, that you will use your word, Lord, to speak to us, to challenge us, Father. I pray, God, that, Lord, you will humble me in this moment, Lord. I pray, God, that you will give me the words to say. Lord, that your spirit will actively be working, Father, as your word says. It's like a a double-edged sword, God, that we can uh, come before you, Lord, and we can serve a risen uh, risen God this morning. So, Lord, we just want to just offer praises to you, Father, and we just love you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see a couple things this morning. Uh, Four things to be exact that happened in the early church when the Spirit of God reigned in the lives of His people. And I think there are keys to, to spiritual growth in our lives and maturity in our lives as the church even today. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this first point down where the Spirit of God reigned there was biblical teaching. Verse 42, look back with me here. It says that the the disciples, they devoted themselves, those who followed after Jesus, that would be, maybe that's you this morning, those who committed their lives to God, who said that they were followers, who said that they were Christians, says they devoted themselves. Now this word devote, all right, it's not just a a casual word, all right? We're devoted to a lot of things. Anybody devoted to maybe like Little League or maybe to your job or or to your spouse? I mean, this is one of those things that it's a commitment. It, It meant something. It means being faithful to something. It means being doing it over and over and over and over again to the point where it comes almost an addiction, a good addiction, that it it becomes second nature to our lives. So I want you to see this here. The early church, where the Spirit of God reigned in their dwelling and it it reigned in their lives. And I want to challenge you this morning is, do these points speak of your life? They were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. I love what Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You see, these new Christians under the reign of the Holy Spirit, they were hungry for God's Word in their lives. Let me ask you a question. Is that you this morning? Mine is kind of up and down every so often where I, where I hunger and thirst for righteousness of what God's Word says. That I hunger for God's Word because if I'm going to be honest, there's times in my life where I pray that God would give me a hunger for His Word. Anybody been there before? It's like, God, I, I don't even want to spend time with you right now. I'm consumed by, by so many other things. I'm devoted to so many things in my life that, that my walk with God sometimes becomes very shallow and some becomes very nominal. In my life. So I want you to see here that the early church, those who, who knew their purpose, they knew what God has called them to do, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they devoted themselves to church. They devoted themselves to getting together and opening up God's Word and being taught and being challenged. They devoted themselves to small groups. They devoted themselves to the Word of God in their Lives. I just want to say this right now. Maybe you will be at one church for the rest of your life, and I'm thankful for that, but the reality of that is we probably won't be. Maybe you move off or whatever it might be. I, w- I want to make this statement to you. If you ever find yourselves in a church and the Word of God is not the central focus of what that church is all about, you need to find another church. And my prayer is, is that... We never sway from that here at one church, but maybe I'm gone and dead or whatever it might be, and you find yourself, even this church, swaying from the Word of God. Go find yourselves another church because there's nothing more important than God, the Word of God being the central focus and the purpose of what churches should be about. Because as I look around, many times we find ourselves selling a lot of chicken dinners. And we find ourselves doing a lot of good humanitarian things. But even in myself, even as we look at this church, as we were convicted last week, or as I was convicted, is sometimes we're doing things and sometimes we get to step back and say, God, is this really what you want us to do? Is this this really what we should be about? So the early church, where the Spirit of God reigned in their lives, there was always sound biblical teaching. The second point. Where the Spirit of God reigned, there was fellowship and sacrificial giving. Look at verse 42 again. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now this word fellowship is the first time we see this word. It's, it's a Greek word called koinonia. All right? I know it's kind of confusing a little bit. It's the first time this is actually written in the New Testament. And this word is, it literally means uh, fellowship. The primary purpose of this is, is sharing things in common. Christian fellowship is a key aspect of Christian life. Believers in Christ are to come together in love and faith and encouragement. And that is the essence of koinonia. So, it, so when the New Testament talks about that, it wasn't just a time to kind of hang out and, and watch the ball game together. Right? I love doing that. I love eating snacks and all of these things, playing games. But koinonia was a, was a fellowship where they, the common denominator for those people who got together was Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean they all look 
the same. All right, they didn't have to. There was no dress code. You have to look this part, or or you got to wear this, or you got to wear that, or or you got to comb your hair this way, or you got to have this mix amount of dollars. The, the word fellowship here was is the one thing that they did have. And it says they had everything in common. And here's the reason they had everything in common, because God was the central part and He was the focus of their lives. Now, these guys had jobs and they had homes and they had all they had families, just like you and I do. Maybe there was, you know, Kid Zinc there in Jerusalem. I don't know what the situation is, but there were things going on in their lives just like you and me. Thank goodness they probably didn't have their cell phones, all right, that take a lot of our time. Amen. Always with us. Sometimes that becomes the central part of my life. Anybody else with me on that? I mean, really, like it's stuck with you all the time. And we laugh about that because it's somewhat true for our lives. But these people, they they had everything in common because the common denominator was God's word and His command to make disciples of all the nations. They had sound biblical teaching. There was also fellowship and, and sacrificial giving. In Philippians chapter 2, it declares, If any of you, any, I'm, I'm sorry, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And it goes on in verse 5 and says, In your relationship with one another, alright, like right now, have the same mindset of Christ. 1 John 1, 6-7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I say this time and time again. Sometimes I repeat myself too much. My wife says, I understand that. But God never intended us to do life alone. God never intended us to do life alone. And I just want to say that church is so, so, so important. And when I get up every week and say thank you for being here, I really mean that because I know there are so many things that are drawing for our time. And please hear me out. I know that some of us have jobs and things come up and we have vacation. That's not where I'm going here. But my heart and my desire is for each and every one of us that we would desire to make church a priority, that we would make the teaching of God's Word a priority, that we would make fellowship with other believers a priority in our lives. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. And it says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Wow. You're thinking like, nope. (laughs) I'm good with the fellowship. I mean, let's be honest. That's kind of where we're at right now. You see, following Jesus, there's sacrificial giving. You're thinking, Brandon, you know, it's it's not all about... I I agree, it's not about my... I want to say this. This church doesn't need your money. I believe God takes care of that, but He encourages us and He challenges us to be a part of giving back to what's been given to Him. I believe He will take care of this church. 
But He uses you and He uses me to be a part of, of fellowshipping and giving sacrificially to those who are in need. Like, that's what they had in common. I mean, can you imagine that? That we, we hung out so much, some of you are like, I don't want to hang out with you that much, all right? You're not that cool. You would get on my nerves. Be like, ditto, you know. But, but, but just, just think about that. And I'm not talking about commune living here, okay? This is not what they're talking about here. It's not. It never says this in the Word of God. It doesn't say they sold their houses and everything. These people still own property and houses because God's Word talks about this, all right? This is people, though, being so in tune to the Spirit of God working in and through their lives that they were aware of their neighbor's needs. You might say, I don't even know my neighbor's name. Much less the person that I see on Sunday, and I am the worst at this. Hey, man, hey, bud. And then you get so far along, you just can't ask their names. I know where they sit. But it's just this, under, listen to this, this is an understanding of the Spirit of God reigning in, in your life and in my life. That they made biblical, t- they made it an important part of their lives. And I understand there's going to be times that you don't want to because I am there right there with you. There are times where I don't want to fellowship with you. There's times that you don't want to fellowship with me, and I understand that. There's times that I don't want to sacrificially give. I don't want to, man, there's, man, he's calling again. I mean, I, I'm just being honest. And it becomes duty. Here's the the big difference here. These people were were able to respond in a way that honored God. These people were able to respond in a way of love and compassion because the Spirit of God reigned in their lives. You see what happens to you and to me many times? We do church because we're supposed to do church. You get up Sunday mornings because that's the right thing to do. You give because it's the right thing to do. And that's why we say every week, give out of a cheerful heart. God is just saying, it's not about all of these things. It's about the Spirit of God reigning in our lives. When the Spirit of God reigns in the life of you, this church will flourish because we are compelled by the Spirit working in our lives, not as a duty to obey laws or commandments. And so many times when people come to church, man, they're just always asking for money. They're always doing this, they're always doing that, versus, you know, what can I come to bring to this body of fellowship? How can I serve? How can I fellowship? How can I sacrificially gain? Or how can I sacrificially give to the body of Christ? But let's be honest, and I've been there before, we go from church to church to church to see which one figures out who's going to give me the most stuff, who has the best programs, who has the best teaching, who has all of these things. And as I look at the book of Acts, man, those weren't such important things. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They, they sold property and possessions and to give to anyone who had a need. You see, this was a, a voluntary thing in the lives of people. These Christ followers voluntarily came to be a part of this group of people who sacrificially gave. 
I wrote this down. If you are not voluntarily surrendering your life and voluntarily involving yourself in the work of the church, you will not be compelled to give and to love and to serve and to go. You might do things out of guilt or charity, but you will not do them out of the compelling love of the Lord in our lives. Verse 46 in Acts chapter 2. It says, Every day they continued uh, to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I mean, you're, you're seeing this just this drawing. And you know what's so cool about this? Is that there were people on the fringes. You know, I, 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 I kind of go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that story? where Jesus gets up with his closest followers and they're fellowshipping and they're teaching and they're learning and they're encouraging one another and it says that the peripheral crowd was there. Remember that? There's like thousands of people who were kind of eavesdropping on the, on the situation there. This is exactly what's taking place here. And that's exactly what's taking place outside of this church right now. People are watching. People are listening. They're just, they're, they're, they're kind of waiting sometimes for us to stumble and fall. And I, and I love those moments. Be like, man, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But, but here's the thing. Because of the love that was shown to each other, it affected those who didn't know Christ around them. You're saying it can't be that easy. Yes. When the Spirit of God reigns in our heart, it moves us to do things that aren't natural in our lives. When those things are displayed for those people who are around us, they start asking those questions like, man, what is going on? Why are you so joyful? Like, why are you sacrificially giving to this person in need? And it's this understanding of being a oneness in Christ. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Many times we have met together as a church, as a um, leadership team as a church, and we've asked the question, how can we do a better job? How can we do a better job training and teaching? And, and literally some, this is some of the conversations that we have sometimes. People are somewhat willing to give us two days a week. Sundays are still some of a church day, and Wednesday night are still somewhat on the radar for us as church. So, so how can we in those two hours that, that, that people are willing to give us, or let's just be honest, that's usually the way it is. I'm, I'm right there with you many times. How can we capitalize on that short time that people are able to invest in the church? And it says here, it says, I mean, they met together every day in the temple courts. And I'm not talking about coming here every day, because I don't want to, all right? But it means investing. Maybe it means reprioritizing some things in our lives. Maybe it means fellowship and they broke bread. Going out to eat with other believers. Hanging out. Getting to know each other. Understanding the needs in people's lives. Where the Spirit reigns, God's people not only relate to the Word, they relate to one another in fellowship and in sharing. The third point. Where the Spirit reigned, there was spontaneous worship. Verse 47, it says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were, just, they were, they were doing life together. 
It, it doesn't even say, although they did, it doesn't say that they were out on the street corners preaching the gospel. And I know that they did, but they're the important part of the church in this section here. And this, in this port is they were doing life in such a way that it was portrayed to everyone around them. It says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why were people being saved? Because they know there's more to life than what they're experiencing. They know there's more to life than this job or this money, there's car, and there's this emptiness. And I like to say there's this God-shaped hole in all of us that only God, only the Spirit of God can indwell in us and make us whole and give us peace and understanding and joy and all of these things that come along with knowing God. So we've got this huge peripheral crowd around us all the time. And Jesus is saying, I just, just want you to love one another. I just want you to serve. I want you to be, you be devoted to my word. Where the Spirit reigned, there was spontaneous worship. Two words help us to understand worship. They are preparation and participation. You know, some of you are like, you know, I'll prepare myself. I don't really want to participate in that. It's preparation. It's preparing ourselves to come before God. And it's actually participating in when those moments arise, whether it be here on Sunday morning or on Tuesday nights or, or whenever it might be. I love when those spontaneous moments happen when maybe you're in a conversation even with a couple at a restaurant. All of a sudden, you're just talking about God and you just get excited about the things of God and you, and you just want to stand up and praise, but you don't want to be a little weird a little sense. But this is those moments of that, that koinonia. It's that fellowship with one another. In verse 46... Is they are described as having glad and sincere hearts. They, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love what verse 43, jump back there real quickly. It says, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe at the, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Did you know that salvation is a miracle? You know, many times we, we think, you know, the, all of these things, you know, if God's going to move, you know, He needs to raise from the, somebody from the dead right here. But I want you to know, salvation is a miracle in itself. Have you ever thought of it that way? That Jesus can take the old self and, and bring the Spirit of God inside of us and, and make us new and give us hope and joy and peace in our lives. It says that everyone was filled with awe because of what God was doing in and through the church. Where the Spirit reigned, there was biblical teaching. Where the Spirit reigned, there was fellowship and sacrificial giving. Where the Spirit reigned, there was spontaneous worship. And the final one, where the Spirit reigned, there was sincere evangelism. And I know that evangelism word, I know it scares you. As soon as you hear the word evangelism, I'm out. Sharing the good news. That's all it is. Sharing the good news of Christ. I love what verse 41 says. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 47 praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people in the Lord, added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
I'd like to close our time together. I'm going to ask Wesley to come back up. I want to read you a quick story. Um, it's called the Parable of the Life Saving Station. You might have heard this before. Really the analogy, really the parable behind this is really the view of the church. It says, On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas, they wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those being saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarging building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as a sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do their work. The mission of life-saving was still lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boats of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some had skin of different colors. Some spoke a strange language and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming in. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted in save the life of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked by those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. You know, I love that story. Um, Although a true story, it's um, a heartbreaking 
situation of the church that we find ourselves in today. It's said that many more churches close their doors than churches start every single year. By far. And you got to just ask those questions. Why? Maybe we've stopped asking the hard questions. Are we willing to allow the Word of God to transform our lives? Are we willing to fashion our lives around the truth of the gospel message and it affect every single aspect of our lives? We've got to ask the question, has the fellowship, has the koinonia of those who are in Christ become a secondary duty in our lives? I struggle with this. Maybe this morning you do as well. You see, the church has changed. The culture has changed. I used to make fun of my parents all the time for saying that life has just changed so dramatically since we were kids. And now I'm saying the same thing. But as we look around us, the church is being pressed on every single side. And as I look at that, I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Because here's the reason I believe it's not a bad thing. Because I think many of us, as we said last week, or I know it's none of you here this morning, are John chapter 60, verse 60, maybe followers of Jesus. When Jesus says, you know what, this is the time. I want you to commit. I want you to devote your lives, yourselves, to the biblical teaching, to fellowship, to serving one another. And in that moment, we sometimes we answer that question, I've kind of got other things to do. It's not where I'm at right now. As we close, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I just want to encourage you. This is not, I'm not trying, I want, I want you to hear my heart. I want, I want to build us up this. I want to encourage us this morning that you and I, and I'm speaking to myself here, that you and I would devote ourselves to the things of God and allow it to permeate our relationships, our attitudes, how we do life at work, how we do life at home, And that Christ would be on such display in the way that we treat each other and how we serve each other. That the same thing would take place that many would be added to the kingdom of God.